This podcast comes to you from the Osteopathic Health Center in Dubai. Integrating health and wellness for the body, mind, and soul. Hello, Rishi. Hey. How are you doing? Really good. Good. Welcome to the All of You podcast, which is an inspirational and educational conversation to simplify good health and um, empower people with the skills to thrive in a world that poses many challenges to our health, vitality, and happiness, as I'm sure you'll agree. Now, during these conversations, we discuss some of the most prevalent health and wellness issues in modern society, and also what we see here at the clinic. Um, We also hope to share some of the most simple and effective lifestyle changes that will improve our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Now, as you know, we like to treat people, not just the symptoms. And with this podcast, we hope to help people improve the quality of their lives by following the principles that we embody here at the clinic. So, Rishi, I am honored to have you here. I think you joined the OHC just a few months before I did. Yes. Um, You're from Mumbai. You're a physiotherapist. Um, So let's get into that. Why? Tell us about your journey towards becoming a physiotherapist, why you wanted to become a physiotherapist, and especially why you uh, choose to um, focus and your passion is on neuro-rehabilitation, on neurological rehabilitation within the field of physiotherapy. My journey uh, started as a physiotherapist late back in 2011. That time I was an intern now with T.Y. Patel College in Mumbai. And uh, on my basic course was, uh, my basic aim was to start with general rehab, you know. As, as soon as I got involved in the course, I got a great chance to observe one of my teachers, uh, Dr. Amrita Narukar. She's absolutely amazing with her handling skills with neurodults. Little did I know that I would get too absorbed with what she was doing, her pro- absolute professionalism in handling her different techniques and uh, complete perseverance towards uh, her patients and effort towards getting them better got me inclined towards neuro rehab. Going back several years ago, I didn't know I wanted to become a physiotherapist. Um, my journey started only when I observed my grandmom doing exercises after her knee surgery and yeah. uh, her sister has always had, uh, you know, uh, knee issues, and she's the first one in her family to get a total knee replacement. Uh, as soon as she used to wake, she used to sit on a bicycle and exercise or on bed, do a lot of exercises. And there used to be a therapist coming home to see her, and I used to wonder, what kind of line is this? This looks very interesting. And I saw my grandma walk so much better and be completely independent versus what she was with her knee pains. Yeah, that's interesting because um, I was speaking to Zamina last week and her story was similar um, for, for wanting to become an osteopath. I think it was a grandmother or a mother um, had, a, I think it was a knee injury actually, and she she was fascinated how the osteopath and her relative interacted and it inspired her to be, to become to want to become an osteopath or to work within you know some kind of healthcare or medical profession. So. Yeah, it's really interesting how, you know, we, we, we get this natural inclination or motivation or inspiration from what we see around us. Um, so going back to becoming a neuro-rehabilitation specialist, um, tell us a little bit about what neuro-rehabilitation is, neurological rehabilitation is. As the name suggests, is 
rehabilitation of brain, spinal cord, and nerve conditions. Now, there are many specialists out there, but as a neurophysiotherapist, we specifically deal with conditions which are either acquired or uh, become, uh, have come in because of genetic predispositions yeah. or because of our lifestyle conditions. Some of them would be stroke, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, uh, you know, traumatic brain injuries, several other neuromuscular disorders uh, that which have come to being uh, and known to mankind over the years. Yeah. And uh, there is a different approach that we use for neurorehabilitation. Um, as a neurotherapist, I took up an opportunity to hone more skills, uh, you know, specific handling techniques uh, that we use, like bow path, like uh, using uh, neural flossing techniques, using hydrotherapy and several other, you know, new advances towards rehabilitation. So neuro uh, definitely works with a lot of patients' perseverance and planning and looking at the short-term and long-term goals of our patients. We want to design a, you know, a therapy in a way that matches up to functional skills that a mm. patient would require. So a thorough assessment will tell us where uh, the patient needs work on, especially it could be gait, it could be tranquil control, it could be cognitive skills, it could mm. be so many things that come to play when we're working with neurorehabilitation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so vital and uh, timely um, intervention because of the significant kind of prevalence of neurodegenerative conditions. And um, uh, to proceed this conversation, I was reading around and um, reading that stroke is the second cause of, second most prevalent cause of death worldwide. Um, and that neurodegenerative conditions have doubled within the last 12 years. Um, and they're set to double again in the next 20 years. So a lot of that is to do with the rise in age of the population. So people are living longer. So therefore, they're, they're, they're more vulnerable to these, you know, kind of degenerative changes as they age. Um, however, it's quite startling to see the prevalence. And it is one of the, you know, most prevalent causes of mortality and disability, these neurodegenerative conditions such as, you know, stroke, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. Now you talked a little bit about um, the causes. You talked about genetic predisposition. You talked about lifestyle. Um, you know, what kind of lifestyle factors do you think could predispose people to some of these common neurodegenerative changes such as stroke? multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's. In today's fast life, uh, we take for granted our nutrition, health, and um, our lifestyle overall. Mm. I would say, you know, generally fat diets with high fat content, uh, high sugary meals, processed foods are, you know, are part of our diets now. And I feel they definitely have a contributing factor towards developing neurological conditions in the future. Also, uh, alcohol and tobacco intake or tobacco addiction, uh, you know, uh, is a fad with all the youth nowadays. And I feel that most people abuse uh, substances also sometimes in their life and they have stress as a reason for it. Also, mm. our past life, because wherein we stop, we do not pause to take breaks from our life and we have very stressful lives, uh, which can all contribute towards 
uh, having predisposition towards neurological conditions in the future. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, we talk about genes and it's almost like since the mapping of the human genome in 2003, we've become slightly obsessed with genes as being the causative factor in disease. And actually, the genes are only responsible for a minority of, you know, predisposing people to, um, you know, these neurodegenerative conditions and disease, most diseases in general. Um, and I'm a big fan of, I don't know whether you've heard of Dr. Gabor Mate, who's a Canadian physician and, and author, and he talks about how he's got a really good book called When the Body Says No, and he talks about how stress and trauma can impact um, people throughout their lives and result or manifest in these neuro neurodegenerative conditions later on, such as multiple sclerosis, um, such as dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, and I find it really fascinating that, you know, we have these terms idiopathic, you know, like a lot of Parkinson's is idiopathic, which means we just don't know where it comes from. And no disease really happens in within a vacuum, does it? It, it comes from somewhere. And so I think it's really empowering if we can understand how our lifestyles can really impact, um, you know, the, the, the kind of prevalence or the, the possibility of ma these, these diseases manifesting. Um, so you've talked a little bit about what neuro rehabilitation is. Can you tell us about some of the techniques you would use to help people um, and maybe relate those techniques to certain conditions? I would say in my career, the most I handle is a lot of stroke patients and uh, stroke is very unique for every uh, patient. Mm. There is no pun one part of the brain that can get impacted. You know, the cause could be anything. It could be ischemic because of rise in blood pressure, yeah. which previously not aware of, or mm. we had, uh, or because of brain injury or because of trauma, road, uh, road traffic accidents. Yeah. And, uh, so no two stroke patients would be the same. And uh, that's the versatility in the treatment that we get to see. There would be patients with cognitive involvement. There would be patients with speech involvement, uh, you know, different hand functions, different abilities to walk or dependency to walk. So um, our planning starts with early assessment and uh, handling the patient early on as, mm. as early as six months into the condition. And we call that as the golden period for getting the most improvement, six yeah. months to max and maximum a year. Not that the brain cannot improve thereafter. We always believe uh, that neuroplasticity in the brain is malleable and capable of changing over time and capable of uh, developing more skills over time. Mm. So in our practice, what we really use on is motor skills or motor control skills, where we believe that uh, as the brain is recovering from the stages of uh, uh, of the bleeding, we, it takes uh, it goes through several stages, starting with flaccidity or uh, lack of control mm -hmm. over the muscle groups, and slowly the brain uh, we start developing what we call a spasticity or involuntary spasm in the muscle groups. So as the brain is recovering, uh, you know uh, the agonist or the muscle that initiates muscle movement. Mm -hmm and the antagonist, which controls the movement of yeah. the agonist, yes. uh, gets involved, uh, our brain does not send the appropriate signals uh, to, the, to those muscles uh, on how it has to work. So when we are intending to do a movement, we generally see 
mass movement of your hand or mass movement of your limb. So it's the brain works uh, with all the move, the older muscles fire together and the brain is confused about which muscles uh, to work and which muscles to inhibit or control. Yeah. So as therapists, uh, we have to take advantage of the staging that we see a patient is in and use appropriate skills. I do use a lot of bobat skills where we work on initiating movement, facilitating movement of mm. patients and set up goals, especially functional goals. Mm. A goal could be as simple as being able to reach for a glass of water mm. to, or else to be able to dress themselves. Through our planning, we look at making the patients more functionally independent in activities of daily living. That yeah. could be grooming, bathing, or yeah. feeding themselves. So, uh, and as a neuropractitioner, I always check with what the patient would want to achieve through, through their sessions. And that's when we achieve the most improvement, because if it's a goal that's set by the patient themselves, they would be more willingly, willingly wanting to achieve that. And it would be a big achievement for them if they accomplish that through their session. Yeah. Yeah. We could really zoom out there, couldn't we? Because I think the overall premise of engaging our patients in their um, recovery, whether it be from musculoskeletal pain or whether it be from a gut disorder or whatever the ailment is, it's about making it relevant to them. What are their functional goals? Rather than just being out of pain or feeling a little bit better, what do they want to achieve? So attaching the, you know, the, the rehabilitation journey to a task, to an end, an end um, objective that the person is motivated towards. And I think, you know, we can take a lot from this approach which you're describing here because I think um, a lot of patients tend to um, disengage too early in their treatment journey instead of, you know, sticking with it to get not just out of, out of pain or out of dysfunction, but way above that benchmark. And I think if we can say to our patients, what things do you want to do in your everyday life? What other functional tasks? What do you want to be able to achieve? You know, and really uh, kind of connect them to an end goal or an objective. We're going to get more retention, better results. Um, and I think this whole idea of functionality is really um, key because in the, in the fitness industry, we've taken the word functional exercise and maybe taking it a, taking it a little bit astray and you mentioned something really important about you know, relating people's movements to tasks because the brain recognizes movements, not muscle actions. You know, so you know we've seen research where we've had people throwing basketballs at hoops, and one group has focused on what their arm is doing, and the other person has focused on trying to get the ball in the in the hoop, and the second group have, have been more successful because they're not focusing on their arm and what the muscles are doing. So it's really important that we understand that movement is task oriented so i think that's a really important point what do you think and to add to that ricky i would always say that uh, we never learn individual movements and muscles mm. work in a coordinated manner mm. and that's what we call as a synergy all muscles have synergistic uh relationships mm. and um, to add to that i would say all muscles that fire together wire together yes and yes. Uh, mm. so i simply believe in that and i keep motivating my patients because some of them also would come with different expectations and mindset and maybe over time have become depressed because of the time that it takes it, yeah it does take good number of months and uh, 
a dedication towards your rehab. Mm. And we also have to look at the overall health of the patient to see how much they're able to contribute. So maybe some days we have to uh, change their task or set simpler goals, you know, to get them or keep them focused. Uh, yeah. And I keep telling my patients, faith it till you make it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, you know, having that patience, neurorehabilitations can be slow, but we also have to be creative with our approach so that the patient looks forward to the upcoming sessions. And uh, hence, I use a lot of different techniques that would incorporate balance training, trunkal control, hydrotherapy, using blaze pod, using more creative and uh, different mediums to keep the patient engaged and work towards their Mm-hmm. Uh, goal for that particular session which could you know and then also have goals for the coming weeks and months that we're working together as a team mm, yeah and it's really important to stress here that neuro neurological rehabilitation isn't just about trying to slow down the inevitable uh, any inevitable decline in some cases we can reverse you know conditions i mean i was saying earlier about multiple sclerosis the neuro- neurological rehabilitation can help remyelination, which is this sheath around the nerves. It can actually help regenerate and regrow that, which is what we would regard as a reversal of the condition. So it's not just about steadying a decline. It's about actually trying to reverse things. And that's really hopeful for people to engage in this process, right? Previously, people were of the opinion that a brain damage can be permanent and this is what we want to change is a mindset that no neuroplasticity is a term that means the brain can adapt over time and there are new neural growths that we can have and also the surrounding structures of the injured area come towards contributing uh, or towards the movement that we can achieve and hence there are so many skills that we can use and enhance which will then ultimately help the patient with their motor cognitive or sensory uh, goals that we that they have so Mm-hmm. Uh, never to give up and keep working with different practitioners and techniques to achieve uh, improvement in your skills and um, keep practicing it because the practice is where you have learning in your brain. Mm-hmm. When we practice, we create engrams in our brain and yeah. engrams means trying to create a program uh, wherein where then the task becomes automatic. So once we create a program around a task, if initially we cannot perform it and we keep practicing it, we can build, a, a, because of the repertoire, a oh. RAM that will make us uh, be aware of the skill that we've done before. Uh, sometimes I do tell my patients that if you are walking, walking is an innate task. We, nobody taught us how to walk as a child. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So there are some skills that are already innate within us. And yeah. what we're trying to do is retrain and relearn and make it hardwired. So. Yeah, yeah and th- this, this brings me on to the next subject. And we talked about this earlier, which fascinates me because I'm, I, I like music and you know, I DJ and, and music has a profound effect on my mood, on my motivation, on my, on my exercise performance. And just reading around this, I realized that, you know, it's, it's, it's established in the scientific literature that music is, it will improve your physical performance. It will delay your, um, you know, your, your kind of journey to fatigue. It will, it will help reduce muscle soreness and things like that or, or perceived exertion. So, Music is a powerful modality within neurological rehabilitation, right? And um, yeah, I find this fascinating because I relate to it strongly. Whereas, you know, some people don't necessarily like music and that's fine. But 
whether it's a metronome or whether it's a, a musical beat, tell us a little bit about how you know music pertains to um, you know neurological rehabilitation and, and improvement. Well, music comes very naturally to us humans, and you see that if you're sitting in a bar and club, or they're playing a piece of music, or you're sitting uh, any place where you've not heard a piece of music, but you suddenly start connecting to it, and you start tapping your feet, mm. snapping your fingers. Uh, our body is, our mind is able to recognize beats, and that starts very early on. We can we connect to heartbeats or respiratory. Yeah, and there are normal rhythms in our human body, which um, uh, we, we, which are already there as a part of our system. So uh, these human beings can easily pick up beats. And I I feel that using metronome beats for patients with Parkinson helps them work on a repertoire and work on uh, p- producing meaningful motor tasks very easily. Yeah. It's also a way of cueing the patient to perform a task uh, at that particular designated time. So it helps to improve their reflexes and their speed and time and control of their task. Also, I use a lot of music, rhythmic music for hand rehabilitation. And this was a part of my dissertation back in 2014 mm-hmm. uh, that I completed and I wanted to publish this. Uh, I use different pieces of music of high frequency and different frequencies for simply improving hand tasks. And that would be some uh, grips and grasp and functional skills of the hand reach out in different directions. And uh, I saw that working as an intervention with music for a month uh, along with conventional treatment in the control group that I use, that music rehabilitation uh, uh, or working with a piece of music was far more engaging for my patients. Mm-hmm. And they look forward to the sessions every time. Uh, and uh, they were also able to connect to the beat and do more movements as compared to someone working on conventional treatment. That's so interesting. Yeah, I mean... Wow, I'm, I, for me, music enhances just about every aspect of my performance. So I can, I can, I can relate to that, and um, it's really kind of reassuring to to see that you know, music can boost cognition in in a brain in in somebody who's had suffered struggled with some kind of brain dysfunction. Um, and we know that it affects arousal, attention, orientation, memory, executive function. So that's a really powerful modality and something that you use within your tools we have the brain which our brain has cells called as the mirror neurons and uh, you know we can mirror an emotion that is displayed by another individual uh, by the help of these neurons like we can in- easily pick up an emotion which is being played through a piece of music mm. or yeah uh, very easily and these are the tasks sent by a mirror neuron cells in our brain which can easily mirror tasks that is projected on us uh either to a piece of music, either to a speech or to any other medium that we can look at. So uh, I think we, uh, our brains can connect to uh, beats and then be able to perform appropriate motor tasks uh, in rhythm, with the rhythm that we provide as a stimulus yeah. task. Yeah, so it's a powerful adjunct to treatment. And um, just as another adjunct to your treatment, at, here at the Osteopathic Health Centre, we use hydrotherapy. We have a pool here, and I often see you getting in and out of the pool with your with your patients. So, um, tell us a little bit about the benefits of hydrotherapy in in the realm of neurological rehabilitation, um, and and why it's it's so effective. So, 
the power of water is known to us and the water is an excellent medium in order uh, because of the buoyancy and hydrostatic pressure that water provides. Just being in the pool, uh, in a heated pool, a warm pool, can elevate our blood pressure and improve our cardiovascular health. Mm. And uh, I've seen that because of the freedom of re uh, movement that the pool environment provides and the resistance that the water provides, we can easily work on strengthening and improving uh, functionality of a person in the pool. Um, I generally take patients uh, who are having post-operative conditions in the pool and the pool would easily provide an environment to control swelling, edema, uh, for the post-operative conditions. I use the pool as a medium of engaging and breathing, uh, improving breathing control, and also as a medium of exercise for patients with neurological conditions. Yeah. I would see the most individuals with stroke or neurological conditions would not have permission to use a swimming pool. Uh, as an environment of exercise. Yeah, interesting. And um, uh, the pool gives them empowerment to be able to move more freely, to work on tranquil, so have movements in all planes and uh, give them, uh, uh, you know, uh, an ease with which we can work their affected arm or leg and yeah. also have to break their synergistic patterns in their arm or leg mm -hmm. and make them more functionally independent. Yeah. We also take the pool activities and translate them to land because then there is more effect of gravity. So I would say initially as a boost, we would start with a lot of hydro activities until they, of course, when they're indicated and then uh, carry forward the effect of the pool to a land-based rehabilitation. Yeah. Yeah. That's really important, isn't it? That translation. And we go back to what we talked about with functional exercise. It's really important that we are trying to mimic or replicate um, movements that people feel are familiar um, and they are important to their everyday lives. And so getting out of a pool, having that sense of efficacy and, and capability in a pool, it's important that that can be then translated onto, you know, onto dry land where you've got gravity working against you. So yeah, that's fantastic. I was looking up with with hydrotherapy, I was I was looking up a little bit around cold therapy, because of the 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 impact on levels of dopamine and and epinephrine or adrenaline, um, and I was thinking about you know these preventative modalities for brain health, um, and even heat. You know you can stimulate heat shock proteins through sauna, which are neuroprotective. You know you can you can arouse what is it brain derived neurotrophic factor which is kind of helped neuroplasticity and all these things so you know let's talk preventative for a second and you know we've talked a little bit about lifestyle factors diet and we know that there's a huge epigenetic component to to these neurodegenerative conditions it's not just a that's your gene that's your genetic profile and it's just you're just waiting for something to express itself no i think a lot of this is epigenetic in the way that lifestyles impact us. So from a preventative standpoint, what advice could you give to people um, that may have a, a slight genetic predisposition or people in general in this modern day health landscape where people are not maybe moving as much as they could be, they're maybe not eating as well as they could be. They maybe have high levels of stress. Um, what are some of the most practical 
um, preventative tips that you could offer people? Well, I feel that in today's fast life, people do not do not balance their work and personal life and do not have enough time and they're always stressing about reaching places. So feel that if you can squeeze in time and work uh, on your health and that addressing that by either doing a walk or a brisk walk and swim or, you know, get out of the environment that you're working in will change a lot of, uh, you know, of, mm. um, improvement towards your health. Also, uh, quitting smoking or yeah. alcohol yeah. Uh, that could, you know, grossly impact our brain development and uh, toxic, toxic environments, uh, mm. you know, air pollution mm. uh, would be a big cause towards uh, accumulatory uh, factors towards developing neurological conditions. Yeah. Um, so I feel that uh, if and can also manage stress levels and be aware that we're not hypertensive or having yeah. high lipid levels or cholesterol mm. levels. So screening yourself to be aware about your health in gen, uh, in advance. So see, most people uh, generally get a stroke will not be aware that they had an underlying hypertensive condition and they always have very stressful lives. So uh, being aware of this in advance would be helpful. Uh, and if you do have it, having your medications on time, which mm. could prevent uh, those from occurring. Also recognizing symptoms of neurodegeneration early on. Yes, such as? Such as, and I feel generally for a stroke, it's very easy to recognize if mm. you're having a stroke. And most people uh, would assume that maybe this is not, it's just a headache. So to be able to recognize early symptoms uh, would be beneficial. I would say the most common acronym to remember would be to act fast let me spell that out for you so acting fast would mean acting uh, fast with f that is seeing if you have any drooping on your face yes uh, if you have any arm weakness or so mm. arm weakness and s for speech uh, impairments if you feel that you're slurring in your speech or this thing mm -hmm. slowness in your speech uh, it's the best time to then approach emergency and um, so a full-blown stroke can be prevented if you're aware that we are having symptoms around it. Yeah. And just waiting the hospital, we can, uh, within the first six hours, could help in reversing the impact or disability that stroke could have uh, given you. So also being aware that if it is a partial stroke or a TIA, that now I can have a control over my lifestyle and change it for good. Um, you know, I could have or be predisposed to a full-blown stroke. Mm. So with the hospital, uh, as you reach the hospital, they generally give you uh, clot-busting uh, injections, which can save your life uh, in advance. Uh, so I feel that if, you know, anyone or it can help anyone whom you recognize as having a stroke and reach them to a hospital, you could you could save them from having a lot more disability later on. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice, really good advice. Um, and I think one of the reoccurring themes throughout this podcast, throughout the three previous episodes has been, you know, lifestyle factors, how we can, you know, kind of do things, do small things consistently to really offset this accumulatory effect where we are having this kind of growing burden upon our nervous system, the infl the inflammation, the stress, and the poor foods, the processed foods, the the seed oils, you know, the, the, the sugars, things like this. And I think 
we do need to really appreciate the the kind of environmental impact on neurodegenerative conditions. Um, and I think this has been a really empowering and um, you know insightful discussion. So, Rushi, I think um, there's a hell of a lot more for us to dive into. I really appreciate your um, you know your depth of knowledge, and if there is music, water, functional movement. Um, I, I want to come and observe some of your sessions. Uh, you've really en enlightened me today. I'm, I'm going to be coming and observing what you do with your patients because I think there's a lot of crossover into what we can do with patients who are not struggling with neurodegenerative conditions. That would be great because there are so many more additions every every year with research. Uh, there's neuropilates, there's... Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, new techniques, new technologies that we use, virtual reality. Yeah. So, you know, life is constantly evolving and it would be great to tap into those uh, and provide a good quality of life in advance, I feel, for uh, humans, uh, you know, and then to approach it later on. Mm. Well, you know, there's one thing I want to say is that I resonate with your passion. I, I see it. I see the way you interact with patients. I see your diligence and your desire to have an outcome with patients and it's not necessarily tangible but I see it and and that for me is 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 one of the most powerful things I think it gives people hope that you are engaged with them and that you are there holding their hand throughout this journey and not just doing this because it's a job you're doing it because you are passionate about it and that for me is 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 powerful so thank you for giving us your time, Rishi, and your knowledge. I would love to have you over for any of my sessions. Yes, absolutely. And um, I look forward to our next conversation. Take Thank care. Thank you.